All right, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud will be talking a little bit about practice in a second, but uh, certainly wanted to jump on here. Uh, we talked at length maybe two weeks ago or so when the uh, general word was put out that uh, Coach Bowden was dealing with a terminal health issue, later found out that it was pancreatic cancer. And sadly, uh, earlier this morning, Coach Bowden, you know, uh, was, was called home. And, uh, you know, this won't be a particularly long podcast, but just wanted to uh, jump on, record something, uh, give our thoughts, uh, ideas of the man, personal experiences with him if we had any. And, uh, yeah, this is a, this is we don't do a real scripted podcast at all. Uh, this is a zero script podcast. So really just going to jump on, record, give our thoughts and uh, go on from there. I mean, it's it's sad and. Um, you know, I'm also, you know, happy for coach Bowden that, that he's not in pain. Right. Um, 91 years old for my money, the winningest coach of all time in the history of the sport, somebody who built Florida state up, uh, into a, a national power, you know, as a program that had had some good moments, but certainly nothing sustained and certainly nothing on a national scale before he got there. And, uh, and he got there at a time that, they were in a real ditch and he pulled them out and he built you know, he built them up into something, you know, truly special. Just one of the programs that if you had, if you had told somebody back in the seventies, Hey, in 2021, there's going to be something called a podcast. Two guys named Bud Nigger are going to be talking on it. And they're going to say, yeah, a little bit worried about the sec, but we're not worried at all about Florida state being left out because they have such an indelible impact on the sport. And they're such a national brand. You'd have been laughed at, Right. And that's basically what Bobby Bowden went on to do is, is turn FSU into something where I think we're both pretty confident they won't be left behind in realignment. Um, you know, I spoke to Denny Cannell a little bit today, my co-host on, on the Cover 3 pod. And, you know, you, you and I had known this was going on for, you know, for a while. Uh, Denny had, had, had to miss a show a couple, couple months back, and he had gone to see him. You know, and and he, he just shared what a, what a great impact that he had on his life you know, both as a person, uh, spiritually and, and as a player as well, but, but more so the, the prior two. And I, man, that kind of strikes me as well is think about all the all Americans and all conference players and, and, you know, pro bowlers and draft picks and NFL hall of famers who came under Bobby Bowden. But the first thing they talk about oftentimes is how, when, you know, they're, they're leading their lives now as retired athletes or successful businessmen or whomever. Is, is how he helped them become that, right? Whether that was, you know, lead them to Christ or just have them act in a better way, trying to do the right thing. Um, that, that's, that's kind of the lasting legacy that he'll have for folks in the FSU family, as opposed to just, you know, the national family who think of him as kind of a, um, what a folksy showman, I guess. Yeah, the New York Times used something of those words. Uh, yeah, kind of short selling a guy, a guy who was also quick to kind of use that to his advantage at times, as we as we've talked about previously. But uh, I mean, look, uh, we acknowledged just a couple of weeks ago. Everybody in this sport's kind of playing second to Nick Saban when it comes to the the greatest coaches of all time. But I don't think we're you know, letting the Noel in the Noel cast, uh, you know, tent our glasses too much when we say that he's almost undoubtedly one of the five best coaches 
in the sports history, uh, very likely one of the three best coaches, um, a level of longevity and consistency that will never be seen, never be replicated. Uh, you know, obviously it's the sport is changing rapidly uh, as we've been reminded in the last <laughs> month or so. And, you know, they'll, they'll never be this made from scratch product again, that turns into the, the absolute juggernaut of the sport. Uh, I don't think there'll ever be anybody that inherits a program that won what, four games in the previous three years or something like that, and then turned it into, you know, the absolute uh, envy of, of pretty much every university in the country. Uh, I'm not sure there'll ever be a, a university that will benefit as much from the hiring as a coach as Florida State did from hiring Bobby Bowden in the uh, in the 70s there. So uh, just a, you know, really remarkable guy. Obviously, when you listen to his former players, when you listen to Odell talk, um, one of the local news outlets had Corey Fuller on earlier today. I don't know if you saw that, bud. That is a exceptionally, uh, you know, emotional, uh, you know, just player who's, who's given his thoughts and given his honest and raw response to the passing of a coach. Uh, Bowden is certainly unique in, in many aspects, but, you know, played, and you're going to hear all sorts of people say this, but played such a kind of fatherly figure for so many of these athletes and, in a sport that even in the seventies and eighties and nineties was very much a business, you know, made, made time and learned about his players at a level that many didn't. And it certainly had an impact on guys that, that many coaches didn't. So uh, just one of the the best to ever do it. And uh, you know, look, the, the reason there's an old cast is because of Bobby Bowden. There's you and I would be broadcasting to 82 people in all likelihood otherwise. So uh, tip of the hat for that. And, Certainly has uh, changed the university, the town, the state, the region uh, in, in pretty impactful ways. So hats off to an incredibly well-lived life. Our, our condolences to his, to his wife, Anne, and his entire family. Um, Matt, it, you know, I, I, we were talking before, before we hit record, and it's not scripted, but obviously I just had to say, hey, I got a couple things. You got a couple things. We have a show. And I, I know a lot, a lot of our Patreon members wanted us, you know, to do so, and they had indicated so. Um, so we decided we'd do one, obviously it's just a, a, you know, a very special guy. And, uh, one of the things that does bug me, by the way, is that Bobby Bowden doesn't have the all-time wins record due to some absolute nonsense by the NCAA. There was a couple year period where the guy who used to be the head at Miami, and I'm not saying this is like a Miami against FSU conspiracy, cause it's not, I don't think just. The NCAA for a couple of years there was trying to get super tough on things, right? And hey, we're we're gonna send a message. And and even though a lot of non-athletes took that music class as well, which is basically rigged, right? Uh, they decided they were gonna vacate Bobby Bowden's wins for that you know academic cheating scandal, even though it wasn't just football players or hell, it wasn't just athletes, right? You had you had non-athletes doing it too. It was just kind of a rigged class. Um. This is the same group that that threw USC and Reggie Bush like, and wrecked their program for a good number of years. I mean, like, clearly, if Reggie Bush did what he did in today's day and age, he'd get punished. But USC wouldn't be on probation for, you know, what, eight years and have five years of scholarship sanctions. It just it wouldn't happen. And it didn't happen basically immediately after that. L look at what they did with Penn State. Now, I, I, I'm an attorney. I understand the intricacies of this. Clearly, that was not... Uh, there was not an on-field thing you could probably argue as far as relating to competitive advantage. 
but it's still pretty sickening. And just common sense tells you what it's like. You're going to take away somebody's wins and their all-time legacy to some extent and put them in second place because some of his players were in a class that was rigged along with other students who were as well. But you're not going to vacate the wins of the guy who at best turned a blind eye to some pretty sick stuff and at worst pretty much, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, ridiculous. Facilitated it. Certainly. Like in my mind, he's the all-time w- w- wins leader. Like it's absurd. It's absurd that he's not. Uh, at least in major college football, and I, I hope that uh, you know maybe maybe there's a time where that's uh, corrected uh, because th- those type of things matter. And that's a guy who uh, who yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, the subject matters absurd that we even go over it. Now, I don't know the exact details of that online music class. Um, wasn't it just that there was existing text test banks out there or previous, uh, test, or, I mean, I don't know that it's necessary that we go into the details of it, but I will say of my understanding of the situation, I don't know. I mean, I, I went to a really small school, but that had a exceptionally, um, an honor code that meant a lot. And, uh, the students, uh, were the ones who enforced it. And I was part of the enforcement of it. And, in that situation, as I understand it, we would have found the teacher to be uh, equally culpable for putting out similar tests year over year. Um, so I don't mean to regale y'all on my, you know, history at Hampton City's honor court, but I just, I just, I'm struggling with my words because it is so unfathomable that one guy lost wins because of an online music class and the other guy had, uh, you know, children being victimized in his facility, and that was uh, not deemed, you know, at, at the level that wins be taken away. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah that's, Four, that's it is what it is. 14 straight top five finishes is a record that I think uh, I think will very likely remain unbroken at this point, just due to how the playoff is. Somebody will get clipped at some point. Uh, did Bama you know, come in eighth two years ago or something like they that? They did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, 2019 that, Bama. Um, because Saban went, uh, they, they were top five from what, 2008 to 12, and then 13, they lost three games. And then, yeah, so. That's right. Yeah. It, so that's been interrupted at a level that won't be replicated by, out of the people in Tuscaloosa, uh, at least that part of it. Certainly they've got a couple national championship trophies to show. But um, And, and yeah. look, if, if – uh, if, if the playoff had been around when Bobby was coaching and he, when, he, when he had his good teams, right? I, I really believe that he would have had one more national title. And I think you can make a good argument that it might have been two more. Yeah, at least. I mean, so many of those. So the 97, 97. Uh, yeah, there's just, there's a, uh, some of those middle 90s teams. I mean, if they get in, they're, uh, they're probably the best team in college football. And, um, yeah, would have would have been great. That's my one wish is that, you know, maybe Peter Work shakes the the Tennessee punter, or maybe uh, Florida State's full staff takes the Oklahoma game seriously. Whatever, it would be great for him to have one more national championship. But the guy uh, is is one of the best to do it uh, of all time. I was particularly touched by the note that Dick Saban put out today. I mean, that that is not just a boilerplate. Uh, you know, life well lived. We tip our hat to to Coach Bowden. If if you have a chance to read it, it's. Uh, He's, he's mentioned, he mentioned the story at SEC Media Days, and he mentioned it again in today's press conference. But, uh, 
you know, just gives you an, an idea as to the individual. And uh, there's a great scene in We Are Marshall uh, about Bobby Bowden. If that's something that you guys want to go look at on YouTube, uh, just the guy was was different in the way that he man, dealt with other people and provided opportunity to people. And Andy was he was freaking hilarious. But I mean, the guy is one of the funniest people. The guy could have been a stand up comedian, uh, you know. He really, I don't know that there'll ever be anybody that works the banquet circuit or has the ability to work a room like Coach Bowden does or did. He's, he's just, I put a little story up from his uh, time in the Waldorf Astoria on Twitter earlier today. And there, honestly, there's 10 other stories like that that I could have chosen from. I mean, the guy was just had a level and, and sense of humor that uh, he used, he certainly used uh in his appeal but it just made him you know made him all the more unique and, and all the more special so necessity is the mother of all innovation right did i botch that quote i might have we're we're not gonna edit this one so i think you got it right for what it's worth but do yeah. you think he had to like like how much clearly look he had the ability but if he goes there are alternate there are alternate kind of re- realities or universes is it funny if he takes the Alabama job? That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Does he doesn't have to be right? You know what I mean? Like, like if he takes the Bama job, do we ever get to see that full on Bobby Bowden, you know, 1992 cracking jokes, making fun of Steve Spurrier in a funny way? Do we get to see that personality? Right? Mm-hmm. Like he had to go through the rubber chicken circuit like crazy, man. Yeah, because this was a program. Like we talk about how they they need to have better better booster buy in now. 40 years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. What boosters? <laughs> yeah. Right. And your first male grads are, you know, 32 years old. And uh, yeah, good luck. Building. And not in majors that are making a whole lot of money in many cases. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Oh. And the one thing, and we, and we talked about his uh, ability to work a room, talked about how, you know, and obviously that led to what for my money is probably the best in-home recruiter of all time. I mean, probably the best guy at closing the deal uh, of anyone ever. I mean, there's legendary stories about, I think it was the recruitment of Derek Brooks where his sister fell asleep in his lap. I mean, there's, there's just stories out there. That guy as impactful and powerful as anybody when it came to the in-home visit. Uh, and he, he gets his credit for that. And he gets his, uh, you know, he, he gets his due uh, credit for building a, a program from scratch. I'm not sure he gets the credit for the guy was pretty, pretty innovative when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. I mean, a lot of those things uh, for those, you know, who, who tuned in from mid 95 on or something like that, you may not have an appreciation for, for what he did. And you know, some of the, some of the spread theories, some of, some of the things that he was allowed uh, that he would allow, that he would allow a young coach like Mark Rick to, to talk about and later implement. I mean, the, you know, in many ways, the guy, had an incredibly impactful, uh, you know, fingerprint on on the evolution of offensive football. And that's not something that you hear many people uh, give him credit for. And, and that is one area that I think he's probably short, uh, you know, shortchanged. And, and, and again, he had to be early yeah. on because they would, in, in order to get those paychecks, I mean, look, in many cases, Florida State was the paycheck game. Right, and it, it, they they turned out to be the paycheck game from hell for a lot of these opponents when 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 you know they went and played Pitt or Nebraska in '80 or you know na- name any any one of those ones you want to, uh, but they 
player for player early on, they had some studs, but they did not have the depth in those early 80s teams that would allow them to just get up and, and be, you know, be ground down to nothing but by some of these teams. In many cases, they were smaller, they were faster. They had to be more innovative. They had to use kind of guerrilla tactics. And, and uh, I, I think you, you really saw that. And they were willing to change the game in the way they did things. It really, uh, it really worked extremely well. And then Mickey Andrews came in, and it's kind of a different conversation, but just a, a tremendous track record of hiring assistants, right? Like it wasn't as if Bobby Bowden never lost any assistants you know, for two decades. There were schools that, that paid better at times. Um, now, he did start to lose more assistance kind of as, as the, the dynasty started to wane, uh, but he, his track record of replacing those assistants uh, was really pretty good, right? You lose Brad Scott, and all of a sudden, boom. Hi, Mark Richt, <laughs> one yeah. of the best offensive coordinators in, in, in the history of the school, right? Um, that, that, to me, was something, you know, really, really impressive. I I also I thought about something today. I think because the bond his guys had with him, I'd be interested to see if Bobby Bowden wouldn't have absolutely killed it in the transfer portal era. Mm. You know what I mean? Like his ability to get kids to stick around, and you're like, how the hell did they get you know Danny Cannell to stick around, right? Or name somebody else who waited their turn. Now he'd have some guys go, certainly, but I I think he, his ability to get guys to stick around would have been pretty impressive in, in today's day and age. Yeah, that's a great point, and that's uh, the amount of uh, of kids that maybe he would, you know, he would be able to get to circle back uh, at, you know, if they had one year left or whatever else. And certainly, nobody who had uh, nobody who mastered the relationship game like Bowden, uh, just at a unprecedented level. And it's, um, you know, a day full of uh, funny anecdotes and and player comments about uh, their experiences with him. Uh, but one of the funniest things is, is the players who would be like, yeah, he, he wouldn't necessarily remember my name on film, but he definitely remembered my mom's casserole or anything else like that. Um, when I was working at 680, the fan, I saw this happen twice. He, Buck Ballou was a, a guy who was doing afternoon and still does. Uh, and Buck was a, uh, was the Georgia national championship quarterback uh, very fortunate to be able to hand the ball off to Herschel Walker but uh nonetheless <laughs> the Georgia national championship quarterback of that uh 83 team or 80 team whatever it was uh, but he was also a highly touted kid out of Valdosta High School as a recruit Bobby Bowden in you know 2011 would still go up to Buck shake his hand tell him about his mom's sugar cookies that he made during a you know an official visit what 40 years ago uh, you know I mean that that's you know, certainly maybe as a guy who likes to eat myself, I could appreciate the guy's, uh, you know, ability to uh, have associations based off uh, based off what was put in front of him on the table. But just, a, you know, just a lot of humorous, endearing things. And it's uh, it was pretty remarkable to see a guy. I think Odell talked about the fact that two weeks ago he still talked about his mom's casserole or something like that during the official visit in the mid 80s. So, um, you know, a, a guy that. Uh, was was quick to kind of you know play the the folksy all shucks guy but uh certainly had a, a hell of an ability to recall a lot of information uh that i don't know that i'd be able to do 30 40 years later i i think you you really nailed it there that that, that played into his ability to recruit just at, at a tremendous level on that in-home visit um 
you know, back in the day, I don't know the guys came to campus quite as many times, right? The, the recruiting process was a lot less formalized. There's a, a quote that I was looking for. From and condensed. Steve, the what now? And condensed. Yes, correct. Um, you know, there's a quote from Steve Spurrier back in the day, and it basically it was like, I don't know how in the hell Bobby Bowden convinced the top four defensive ends in the country to come play for him in the same year, right? Uh, but, yes, I think he was talking just generally like, hey, guys, don't follow what other guys are doing, right? But it also was a tremendous compliment to Bobby Bowden about how in the world he was able to get that to happen, right? Nowadays, nobody really pulls that off for the most part. Like, you, you, don't, you don't get the top four guys in the country for one position because they, they have the internet and they can figure out who's, who's being there. But unless you somehow ended up on an official visit with the other guys who, who were being recruited on the same weekend, uh, you, you may never have known. And yet he, he, you know, he really did seem to care about them. Um, you know, I, man, 91 years, that is, it, it's, it's a sad day for his family, you know, but it, it is, that's a hell of a life lived. Yeah, really is just a remarkable life. Obviously, his uh, son's got into the college game. I guess Terry is still coaching and a you know, litany of coaches impacted from uh, Jeff Scott, like you mentioned, and, and so many others. I mean, the Bowden tree is, is significant and we would spend 15 or 20 minutes uh, going down each of its branches. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a kid who I was, Bud and I are using video tonight since we don't have a uh, script in front of us and we should have video up and running on this podcast within the next two weeks or so. But as a guy, I've framed a couple of the posters that I had on my wall when I was, you know, 11, 12 years old growing up. I mean, I, I was uh, the absurdly emotionally invested kid of the, uh, you know, early 90s, mid 90s uh, that that many people were. I went to the Bobby Bowden camp and I think in 1998, I mean, that that um, the whole program to me is uh, when at that age and when you, it's just Bobby Bowden's program. I mean, that, that's there. I'm not sure there'll ever be a name that's as synonymous with a, with a program in a school uh, as, as Bowden was and is for Florida state. So uh, credit to him, you know, like you said, best of the family, remarkable. I mean, the guy, you know, coached for 60 years and was married to Ann for uh, I think almost 70 years, maybe 70 years. Uh, I got her name right. Maybe not the number of years that they were together, uh, but just, you know, it, everything that he did fully committed, fully committed to his faith, fully committed to his family, fully committed to his wife. Uh, and uh, certainly wish him the best as he moves on to the, uh, uh, you know, the, the world that he well prepared himself to enter. All right. There's really no way to transition out of this. Right. Um, but, you know, if he was still around and he was feeling good, maybe he would have gone out to practice today. And uh, FSU, they started practice yesterday. They're in, uh, they're not in pads, they're just in helmets. This is just absolute lion season right now. Just the, the, the <laughs> lies we tell each the lies we tell ourselves, the lies that we tell uh, the opposing fan bases and yet our fellow, our fellow fans and friends on Twitter uh, about the Knowles. And, I got to tell you, man, I have very, uh, I have very few takeaways so far uh, because they're not wearing pads, and um, pads really kind of turn things around. You know, turn things around. 
Monday is also a day without pads. And then I believe they practice again on Wednesday. Uh, but I will say coach Norvell and those guys are doing the, uh, the young guy practice or kind of the newcomer practice and the veterans practice, which is a, something I know a lot of staffs have, have begun to do in recent years. I think that makes quite a bit of sense. Um, especially if you have a big game to open the year, like they do with Notre Dame, you can kind of use that veterans practice as something where you're actually installing stuff, right? And you're trying to get ready to win a game on Labor Day weekend. That's a big deal, dude. If they win that game, it gives them a tiny bit of breathing room to where they could still potentially make a bowl if they have you know, maybe one more slip up than expected. Um, you know? And then they have the newcomer practice, which is where – a lot of guys, a lot of guys are. Um, I know Dylan Gibbons, even though he's a newcomer summer guy, is already with the vets. Andrew Parchment, uh, I believe, is also with the vets now. So you know that's that's a good sign. I think the receivers were the two receivers that are on campus uh, were with the vets, or at least yeah. Malik was. And they were they were on. Uh, or I know Malik was that. Um, so they were uh, they were on campus in the spring though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I will say one name. That uh, that I did hear that the coaching staff feels like they will be a hit, and we'll talk about this more later. They feel like they hit on Shyam Brown. Yeah, they the do. City kid. I mean, I, I I referenced being the the giant fan that I was, and you know the story that I'll tell my grandson that he won't believe or have any comp- like ideas to how to even uh, comprehend is my aunt and uncle were some of the first people, at least in that I was aware of, that got the internet. Uh, and I literally would walk two miles, bud, over to their house uh, to read about Florida State, to go find the mm-hmm. one or two websites that were there. And uh, one of the first stories I remember reading online was that uh, Brian Allen, as soon as he reported, blew everybody away. One of the one of the fastest, strongest kids out there. And uh, I don't know that Shaheem has necessarily impressed people with his physical manner as much, but it was it was real quick from day one uh, that Brian Allen was a special player and. They uh, they feel real, they, you know, that was something based off recruiting re- ranking might have been a little bit of a reach, but uh, they think they've got quite the player there, it sounds like. So good for him. No doubt about it. Um, let me see anything else. Chubba Party's back. Chubba is back. I will say just as a general, uh, you know, use this as a, as a filter or for perspective or whatever else, anything that you hear right now coming out of the staff, in a positive manner in all likelihood is based on the two months that led up to the practices that have occurred in the past two to three days. I mean, it, it is exceptionally hard to take away anything until the pads get put on. So there's certainly been some talk about players. I know that they, uh, they really like where the Williams kid is physically the tight end. Um, there's some talk that Corbin may be uh, ready to have a, a little bit of a better year than maybe people would have extrapolated uh so I, uh, there is some positive talk out there. And as fans, there's nothing more we love doing than seeing a, you know, getting a 32 second clip or 32 seconds of clips from practice and, you know, trying to break down each one and make these giant extrapolations. I would be hesitant in doing that, but there is certainly some, some players that uh, appear to have, you know, positioned themselves well, at least so far. Uh, the transfer defensive end is another one that uh, the Kushni uh, Kushni uh, yeah yeah now he's they, still with, he's still with the the he's with the youngins the, yeah uh, but they they're they're very pleased by what they can extrapolate so far from from uh, what he's going to be you know I I uh, 
there's some wild cards on this team. And we'll, we'll speak more of the, you know, more about these coming up with, with the positional previews. Uh, but like, you know, I know Damari Tate is just, you know, he's very behind because he's been hurt like almost his entire time on campus, you know, maybe later in the season, you know, if you're able to, if you're able to get something from him, maybe later in the season, that'd be great. Right. Uh, I, I don't think he's a guy who's going to contribute early, you know, early on just based on, on stuff I've heard so far, you know, can Akeem Dent, can he use his instincts to, you know, I know he's playing some safety. Can he, like he played, he played a decent bit of safety in high school. Can he be a contributor on this football team? Uh, I have some concerns about the offensive line, right? Like I have different sources in the program. And one guy told me he thinks Dylan Gibbons is going to start. Other guy told me he's not sure that he's going to be a starter. And I'm like, okay. So is that the only offensive lineman you took in the portal and you're not even sure he's starting quality? All right. Um, you know, meanwhile, you pass on, on the Memphis kid who's, who's looks like he's probably going to start with TCU. Now, I have to give deference to Mike Norvell and his staff because I think they're actually a pretty damn good staff. And uh, they coach that Memphis kid. So they would know, I think, if he could play at this level in this league. Or maybe there's some kind of other reason that they, they weren't after him hard. Uh, but I have a little bit of concern there. Receiver. Yeah. Do they have? I don't think they actually have a true number one on this team, personally. Like, like, do you think Andrew Parchman is, a, is an ACC quality one? He could be. I'm if, not going to uh, bet on it. If they have a one, it will be him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, continue to be encouraged about uh, Helton and where he is, but Helton's not a number one, in my opinion. Uh, but to know, exceed it's... expectations, expectations for this receiving core is worst in the league. I think you, if you just get consistent play from Helton Wilson, you get Parchman to get with the program early, you know, early and often to be consistent. Um, and McDonald's nothing special, but he's not terrible as a tight end, I guess. Uh, you know, Parchment, Wilson, Helton, McDonald, maybe McLean comes on second half of the season. You know, that that's not going to be top half of the league. But it, it has a chance to not be the worst in the league at, at the receiver and tight end position, which is you know like where, where David Hale had him, I believe, entering the year, and not unjustifiably based on what we know so far. But I, I do think there is some upside there, just based on on some of the talent on the roster. Speaking of oh by the way, speaking of coaching staff and Norvell put together, uh, they did put out the uh, the numbers for the contracts for the new for the, for the coaches. Uh, we weren't pulling that out of our ass, right? Alex Atkins did get a big raise and an extension. We knew that. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's good. And that's, okay, uh, I said it first. Yeah. Oh, we did. I think we might've accidentally put that out there about a month ago or so as well, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oops. Um, Hey, look, we can talk about some of the challenges that exist for this university and, you know, we're not uh, Alabama and, and uh, not going to be confused with UGA or some of these other schools, but you're paying your offensive line coach $625,000. I mean, that is a reflection of commitment and uh, a guy that certainly deserves it. So uh, credit to him, but that's, that's a great thing to see. You know, there's been a couple, a couple of, uh, hires recently and a couple of contract extensions that have been reflective of Florida state's, you know, continued want to play at the highest level and kind of remind and perhaps reaffirm uh, their position and kind of the upper echelon in the sport. And if you're going to get there, uh, you need to keep Alex Atkins around as long as possible. And 
I think we're both in agreement with that contract. He ain't going to coach offensive line anywhere else. So, you know, he may leave if he gets an offense coordinator call, but that more or less seals him in Tallahassee for as long as he's strictly coaching offensive line. Yeah. And, and, and look, I, I do think if, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of tough to project that coach Dillingham would get a head coach job after this upcoming season, given the difficulty of the schedule and the lack of talent on the roster. Uh, but if he's able to work some miracles somehow and they do make a bowl game, uh, then maybe he will get a head coaching job. And if that's the case, uh, I, I really do think that Alex Atkins would be the next offensive coordinator at Florida state, mm-hmm. right? He's got play calling experience from Charlotte. He's done a tremendous job recruiting. Knows the offense. Uh, I mean, look, he Norvell is kind of the, the dude who's always going to be the, the hand on, on the, you know, he kind of wants to be the play caller type, but I don't see there's any reason why you wouldn't make Atkins the offensive coordinator. I yeah. think, I, I think that, that, that uh, honestly, I probably entered the calculus here. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a reasonable expectation, and that would, you know, be a continued step for a guy who, uh, from the day we hired him, uh, talked about a guy who who very well projects as a head coach ultimately, and that's not a term that you necessarily hear associated with offensive line coaches. So, uh, you know, great to have a a shooting star uh, of sorts on your on your staff, and a, a star that continues to burn really brightly, and a contract that will. Uh, you know, keep that star uh, in your orbit if I'm going to keep uh, with this metaphor as long as possible. So great that Atkins got re-upped. Uh, good for him. Good for the university. And uh, look forward to him continuing to do work on the trail. Um, <clears throat> you see Steve Spurrier put out a statement? I did see him. I did see that. I uh, thought that was, uh, I don't want to say a jab, but, you know, uh, he's, he's I second think, I thought he time. wrote it. Yeah, I thought he wrote it in such a way as to, like, um, sort of, in such in the style that in which they jabbed each other, very much. And he also admitted that Bowden more times than not slapped him around, and took his lunch, uh, which is nice of Steve to say. But uh, no, I mean, from from what Spurrier said, uh, you know, Jimbo had some nice comments and had some really nice comments about Bowden at SEC Media Days and um, Mac Brown. Just uh, look, the you know, the college football world. Most people uh, were impacted by Bobby Bowden in some way or or. You know, even um, uh, Georgia Tech's coach talked about being with Bowden for, you know, 12 minutes, uh, 15 years ago or something like that. And uh, the idea that he was sharing a room with the the guy that he, you know, thought was the, uh, the, the pinnacle of the sport and the impact that that had on him. And a lot of times I take coach talk like that to be absolute BS, particularly when, you know, they get hired, you know, Jeremy Pruitt get hired at, uh, at Georgia and he talks about, oh, what? drove a kid over here for camp one day and I was just so blown away. I mean, that's absolute crap. Uh, when people talk about Bowden and the impact that they had on him, I, I tend to think that there's a little bit more authenticity tied to it than, than just the normal coach speak. I agree with you there, man. Um, again, condolences to Bobby Bowden's family, a, uh, a an absolute le- legend gone. And uh, I think we all know where he's going. So uh, with that, you got anything else? I think that'll be it for tonight, and uh, we will be back and probably full speed ahead with our position preview series, something that we always thoroughly enjoy, and for us kind of marks uh, show number one of the season. So uh, we look forward to talking to you soon.